Hazy Podcast is brought to you by EK the DJ and Michael Reed. Join them each season as they discuss the adventures contained in various audiobooks. This season, they'll be providing reactionary commentary on the So I Got Hazed audiobook by Michael Reed. Chapter 26, Finality. December 10th, Day 5, Hell Week. Hell Night. I woke up to John pounding on my dorm room door. Strikes! John yelled. It's time to wake up. You have your meeting today. I was in absolutely no shape to be talking to any administrative body that day. My hair was disgusting, and I thought I should cut it before the meeting. John and I walked to the frat house to ask LT if he could cut my hair. LT asked me several times if I was sure that I wanted him to cut my hair. I almost thought he wasn't going to do it. I suppose LT had appreciated my long hair. I told him I no longer gave a fuck, and with that, he said he'd buzz my hair for me. Over the next few minutes, LT prepared his buzzer and asked me again if I was sure that I wanted to get my hair cut. Once he cut the first piece off, there was no going back, and he buzzed it all off for me. All of my nasty condiment-filled hair fell onto the cement porch. When he was done shaving my head, I looked like a beautiful, young, bald pledge. I thought he did a great job, even though he may have shaved it a little too low, but it was almost liberating. It was the lowest my hair had been cut since I had first moved to Virginia Beach a few years earlier. This was the lowest my hair had been cut in two years to that point. Yeah, yeah, I remember you pretty shaggy back in those days. I was very shaggy. I don't know if getting the hair cut at this time was necessarily the best idea, though. Given that I had to go see the Dean of Students. Fair point. There's no denying I was pledging a fraternity with the neo-Nazi haircut I was sporting. The transformation was drastic. My pledge brothers and I all had shaved heads once my hair was cut. John told me I would probably be able to run faster. I was happy because I could go to the meeting with the dean without the worry of smelling. Pledge paybacks was officially over. However, we still had classes to go to, or in my case, a meeting with the dean. I was able to leave LTs and catch a shower in the dorms before I went to my meeting. I put on the same suit I had worn to go to court and walked to the dean's office with my head held high. When it came to the sexual harassment strike, I knew I hadn't really offered Stacy money for any act. Not sincerely, anyways, and she knew it. She was a jealous bitch because I was hooking up with Samantha, and not her. She was also mad that I had gotten Lee, her other psychopath dorm friend, in trouble for pulling a knife on me. I simply had to convey all those thoughts in a calm and articulate enough manner that the dean could understand the situation with more clarity. The 13th floor was truly cursed. There's a lot going on there. Yeah. Like really terrifying things. And I'm pretty sure that that's somebody the same... Somebody stole all the dry erase markers. Yeah, I was just going to say, that's the same place where somebody <laughs> took all the markers. <laughs> I needed to convince the dean to nullify the sexual harassment strike off my record. If I wasn't successful, the school would be forced to suspend me for a few semesters. When I got to the dean's office, I was told to sit and wait. After a short period of time, a very stern-looking man came out and told me to follow him to his office. The dean introduced himself, and I instantly felt a feeling that he didn't care what I had to say. 
He explained the facts as he knew them, and then let me speak. I was nervous, because I knew I had no chance of saving myself. My grades were fine up until that point, but the strikes were stacked against me. Logically, I didn't know how I was going to make it another three and a half years of college without getting in trouble again. Just to recap, we got two alcohol charges back-to-back -back within 24 hours my first week there, and then this third strike is because I said, with a whore mouth like that, you should be the one stripping for us. So that's, that's what's brought me to this point. But there's yeah. been so many other things in between that I got away with. An insult was taken way too literally. Mm -hmm. Was it a whore mouth? I don't know. Whatever, whatever we reviewed and was written in the book is what was said. I love that I don't have to think about this stuff anymore because I'm like, hey, I've put it out there and published it. Now I don't have to remember it. I can get the other stuff out. Whatever the book said. Yeah, that's exactly. I'd already gotten three strikes in a single semester. Gina having it out for me didn't help either, and the penis poster incident could have been much worse if they'd found the weed hidden under my keyboard. I started with the worst offense imaginable. I thought I could play to the male side of the dean. I explained that never in a million years would I offer that woman any money to strip. She was hideous to me. I wasn't done, though. I proceeded to double down on being an idiot. I said that if I was ever presented with a situation where Stacy did have her clothes off, I would most likely offer her money to put them back on. As I had initially thought, the dean wasn't impressed with my jokes, my defense, or anything I had to say. You know when, like, you're trying to make jokes and they come off awkward as fuck because the other person isn't on the same wavelength? That's yes. exactly what happened. And it didn't I'm very help. familiar with this. <laughs> it didn't help. The dean mentioned my alcohol charges. He was not impressed I'd gotten them my first week and within a 24-hour period. Without another word said in between, he asked what fraternity I was pledging. I said none. You were pledging a fraternity. That's what the report says. Which one was it that you were looking for strippers for? I finally said, ASIH. Alpha Sigma Iota Eta, but I'm not pledging them anymore. I quit. The dean finally seemed satisfied with one of my answers. He said that he'd have to see how my grades looked at the end of the semester, and I had to write an apology letter to Stacy. I said I would do no such thing. Sticking to my guns was important to me. Flipping would be an admission of guilt, and I never wanted to be guilty of anything involving that disgusting, low-life girl. She was the type of woman that didn't worry about a man's future by making false accusations against him. The dean sat quietly for a moment and said, Very well, Michael. We will see how your grades are at the end of the semester, and we'll reconvene next semester after you've paid tuition. So you want me to pay tuition before you decide if I'll be allowed to stay? Yes, he replied. Are we done here? The dean just nodded at me and presented his hand towards the door. Okay, thank you, sir. I stood up and reached out to shake his hand. He seemed hesitant, but eventually shook my hand. I walked out of his office and took a sigh of relief. Unfortunately, there was now a proverbial boulder hanging over my head for the next semester. I went back to my dorm room to change. I wanted to get back into the pledge grind that was Hell Week. When I got back to my dorm room, John wasn't there. I figured he was likely already at a brother's house and not in class anymore. I told Paul everything that happened as I changed. 
I picked out some clothes that I didn't mind getting destroyed. My phone started ringing while I was changing because the brothers knew I was out of my meeting. It was Eric Davis, and he asked me how things went. After I told him, he said that I had to get to the fraternity house in the next five minutes. There was something in Eric's voice that told me it was the last phone call I'd be taking as a pledge. When I got off the phone, I looked at Paul and said, This is it, bro. I think it's hell night. Paul was always a supportive friend, even for things I knew may seem dumb to everyone else. Good luck, man. You got this, he said to encourage me. I said goodbye to Paul and locked the door behind myself. I find it so interestingly sad that I was excited for Hell Week because the school side of things was not going well at all because of the trouble. Yeah. I feel that. I ran down the stairwell as I always had, and I got to the fraternity house in just a few minutes. The pledging process had gotten me in incredible running shape. I was so fast. I knew exactly how long it took to get from my dorm to almost all of the brothers' houses. When I walked into the house, John and Tony were already inside waiting for me. When Tony saw me, he whispered, I think it's hell night. I said, I agree. It's just depressing that James couldn't be here with us. We were told to sit against one of the walls and face the brothers while they talked amongst themselves. The brothers continued coming into the house one by one. We were not in the basement as per usual, because it was far too small for the number of people that were in the house. Almost every fraternity brother was present. There were still some brothers that were missing, but they were either on their way or didn't show up at all. We were in the largest room of the house, and there were brothers everywhere. They were lined up the stairs, around the walls, and even had to stand in two rows. Quiet! Krabs yelled. Everyone kept talking until Zeke quietly said, Let's start and then the room fell silent. We were given blindfolds and told to put them on. John, Tony, and I all looked at one another and smiled before putting our blindfolds on. It was hell night. Once we had our blindfolds on, each brother took turns saying different things to us. Some brothers wasted their time by asking us trivia questions or what we remembered about them. Some brothers tried yelling at us. Other brothers used the opportunity to tell us what they liked or didn't like about us. They were open about the qualities we needed to work on, and complimented the qualities we had. I blocked out most of what they said, and I was sure that John and Tony were doing the same thing. The kinds of things would be like, you're awesome at coordinating, or great at organizing, or you're really strong, or on the inverse side, you're really weak, you're not smart, you need to work on your game with chicks. Things like that. Okay. I have no memory of this. Of course not. You guys were fucking hammed. At yeah. That point, at that point, there was no amount of mental warfare that could be used to break us down. We were sure to give short and concise replies. We were doing as well as pledges could do. When it was Jordan Jacobs' turn, he said, you fuckers, why did you haze me on pledge paybacks? I didn't even do anything to you all semester and you hazed me the worst. Which is bullshit, because now you're going to get in and I won't be able to... He was interrupted by a room full of shushes. Jordan continued, Anyways, it's bullshit, I could have just hazed you guys way worse. In fact, you'll get hazed way worse the rest of this week by me anyways, so it doesn't matter. 
I'll get you back. Jordan tried to keep the idea alive that we were going to be in a hell week forever, but we learned two things. All bad things come to an end, and that fraternity brothers lie to pledges. When it came around to Patrick O'Connor, we knew we were in for it. Surprisingly, though, when it was his turn, he didn't say anything about the piss. Instead, he mocked us for not being able to catch him during pledge paybacks. He said we blew our chances at ever hazing him. We weren't sure if he knew about the piss yet, or if he was just keeping it to himself because he was embarrassed. After each brother had finished saying things to us, Crab spoke again. Now, we know there isn't a lot that we can do to you that we haven't done already. That's why tonight's event is about trust. You have to trust that what we're giving you won't kill you. What the fuck? John said under his breath. I couldn't help but laugh. Strikes! You're first, Krabs announced. Good luck, John and Tony both said quietly to me. When I was told to stand, it wasn't as funny to me anymore. Eric told me to stand up and led me into the bar room. He shoved a cup into my hand and said, Drink this, while he laughed at me. I was fed a concoction, but it was different with a blindfold on. Usually it didn't matter what the concoction was. If a brother asked me to drink it, I would gulp it down. On this occasion, I had to ask, Is this piss? before I drank it. No, shut up and drink it, Eric scorned. I drank it without asking any more questions. It was only beer, mixed with condiments and some other things that I can't recall. When I was done drinking all of their experimental drinks, someone led me into the bathroom. I was told to reach into the toilet, grab whatever was in there, and eat it. I knew they wouldn't give me poop to eat, but I still remember saying, Bro, is it poop? I can get really sick if I eat poop. You can get really sick if you eat anything up the toilet. Yeah, you get definitely <laughs> really sick. And a fraternity Ugh. toilet at that? Okay, there's a lot of things I would still do in the pledging process, but I'll tell you what, that is not one of them. Fraternity houses are filthy. I lived on the I lived on the second floor of the fraternity house, and like in the second floor bathroom, there were mushrooms growing out of the floor. That's what I'm saying, bro. Like <laughs> the fact that you can get mushroom poisoning is just like one of a variety of things that are coming from that <laughs> toilet. Gross. Eric responded, just eat it. It won't kill you, and you'll think it's delicious. I grabbed whatever it was and ate it. I gagged as it went down, because it was squishy and vile. It didn't matter if it was a gold bar. Eating anything out of that fraternity toilet was disgusting. Before I was let out of the bathroom, Patrick O'Connor came in to yell at me. Yeah, so like, Ron Russo led me in there, and I'm like, no. And then you came in, and you're like, just do it. I'm like, okay. What was it? It was a banana. Was it a banana? It was a banana. <laughs> but the consistency of a banana is almost exactly like poop, and the fact that you're eating uh, it out of a toilet is like, uh, 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 yeah, uh, yeah, it's still pretty filthy. Uh. Okay, so remember that we pissed on Patrick O'Connor's door after he hit me with the bag of flour, right? right. So now he's confronting me by myself. Did you piss on my fucking door? Did you know that I have roommates that are girls? I denied everything he asked, and I even accused him of being nuts. Inside, I was dying laughing. I was like, what you gaslit him? Yeah, what are you talking about, man? 
<laughs> Somebody pissed on your door. Who the fuck would piss on your door? No, we have a little bit more resound than to piss on your door. Who do you think we are, man? A bunch of chimps? <laughs> We're not a pack of wolves. We're not just going to go and piss on your door. Leave a carcass there. Maybe some raccoons did it. <laughs> maybe, a, maybe a quintet of raccoons did it. Would have been better yes. if it was a trio. Actually, I guess it wasn't. No, because James was with us. <laughs> After the interrogation, I was escorted around in circles until I was somewhat lost. I was still blindfolded, so I relied on the brothers to navigate me between rooms. I listened to my pledge brothers go through the same routine that I had just finished. That's when I heard John shout, I'm not eating fucking poop. When I heard him shout that, I laughed so hard. After the three of us had finished being hazed, the brothers took us into the backyard. We were still blindfolded, and were told not to talk to one another. The brothers led us down the hill to LT's house, and lined us up at the front door. That's the biggest thing. Not only were we scooping something out of the toilet, but we were blindfolded. So whatever terrible thing we thought of in our head was what we were basically eating. The worst thing I remember eating was the pig's feet. Yeah, because you can't, you you cannot swallow pig's hooves. There's no way to do. Ugh, there's no way to do it. It's bones. <laughs> you can't. You can't eat bones, dude. I'm telling you, you cannot eat bones. Yes, I just went to that place. I went. I went there. Took the lid off the jar. I wonder why it wasn't anywhere in the story specifically, and I just found out why. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure that it's in the story that Chippy gave us pig's hooves. Oh. You just weren't listening hard enough. Maybe, yeah, maybe I missed it, but man, those pig shoes, those are my, those were the worst. I mean, it is a like a 12-hour audiobook. This is a half a day. There's a lot of things that can get lost the first time around. Good half a day. Yeah, I'm sorry that my book was so long, everybody. It, it wasn't my intention to make you read so much like a fucking textbook, but this uh, is what to happens. be fair, to be fair, if you just buy the regular book, you could probably read a lot faster than listening to the audiobook. That's true. There's a lot of hazing in here, too, and a lot of little stories that make the hazing more interesting. Yeah. We could hear the brothers gathering inside. When they had all arrived, they started chanting and brought us inside. We were still blindfolded, and the brothers had us line up against the staircase wall. We were told to do air chairs while we were fed onions and the usual lineup of condiments. When that wasn't a problem for us, we were told to do blindfolded sheep drills, and we executed those flawlessly as well. That was no problem for us either, because we were professionals. Then we were thrown a curveball and the brothers explained a new haze to us. Mitch explained that we were going to be playing a game called Tank Wars. The event was only for pledges and their big brothers. We had to keep our blindfolds on during the whole thing. In Tank Wars, each of the big brothers would sit on their little brother's back. The pledge was the tank, and the big brother was the tank driver. The tank driver told us when to fire and reload. When they called reload, we were to open our mouths, and they would shove ammo in. We were told not to swallow the ammo. When they said fire, we were to fire by spitting everything in our mouths forward. 
They told us when we'd won or lost. When we started Tank Wars, it was pretty fun. Eric shoved flour into my mouth, the ammo, and told me when to fire. First I battled Mitch and John, and then Tony and Trent Pereira. Every time Eric would shove flour into my mouth, he told me to aim higher. I eventually realized we were supposed to shoot the other tank driver and not the other tank. We covered the entire room in flour. It was fantastic. When the Tank Wars event was over, we were told to line up with our noses against the wall. While we had our noses against the wall, Chippy and Eric screamed at us. Between the screaming, we could hear the brothers talking about which pledge would get what letters. We heard someone say that they didn't have letters for John, and Mitch said he'd give them the ones he was wearing. The brothers told us to take off our blindfolds and turn around. When we did, they said, Welcome to our newly initiated brothers. The brothers were holding SIG-H letters to give us. Eric was holding letters for me when I turned around. Mitch and Trent were holding letters to give John and Tony. It was everything we'd worked so hard for. We tried to hug the brothers in our disgusting states, but not all of them were having it. I used a towel to clean myself off and put my SIG-H letters on right away. I looked around, and John, Tony, and I all had our letters on. That's when the sadness set in, because James wasn't there to share that moment with us. The fraternity helped snap me out of it when they invited us to have a celebratory chant. We chanted Hi-Ho Sig-H for the first time as newly initiated brothers. Okay, I just want to point out, I know it's the end of the book, but things are about to devolve, and I'm sorry I leave you guys on such cliffhangers with so much <laughs> like extra stuff added on that wasn't there initially. When we were done chanting, we were invited to the chapter house for a little celebration. John, Tony, and I raced over to the house right away. When we got to the house, the party was in Zeke's room. We were invited to sit down, but three pretty girls were standing in the doorway, one for each of us. Zeke promptly told them to get the fuck out of the way so we could sit down. I noticed that there wasn't any weed in the room, but there was cocaine. Lots of cocaine. Three large serving plates were being passed around, completely covered with lines of cocaine. It was like a scene from a Hollywood movie. The trays were my first exposure to that much cocaine in one place before. I cannot emphasize enough that that was the most I've ever seen in one place at once, <laughs> up to that point. The three trays must have been worth thousands of dollars. I felt like an asshole, but all I wanted was a bong hit. That had been what I was looking forward to the most when I got into the fraternity. The first hit as a brother is what I wanted. Instead, I'd remember the cocaine buffet for the rest of my life. I sat against one of the bedroom walls, looking at John who was sitting to my right. He was in seventh heaven. For that much free cocaine, John would have pledged again 20 times over. He'd already blown a few lines, but I hadn't touched any. I was still on a high from getting into the fraternity, and coke wasn't my thing. I was dreaming of dank nugs when a tray hit my lap for the third time. I passed it to John instead of snorting any. Kyle looked at me and said, What, Strikes? You don't like coke? I just thought that there would be some weed, I said. Holy fuck, you ungrateful fuck. Thousands of dollars a blow here, and you want to smoke some dirty Mexican plants? Kyle snapped back. Hey, shut the fuck up, bro. It's Strizzles and the boys' night, and they can do whatever they want. Strikes, stick up for yourself. 
You're a brother now, not a pledge, Zeke said, defending me. Yeah, fuck you, Kyle, I shouted, and I started laughing. Whoa, let's not start anything. Remember, now you'll have to scrap if you guys get into it, Zeke added. Kyle stood up and went to his room. He came back with a bong and some weed. Then he said, Happy strikes. Welcome to the fraternity, brother. That night, the brothers were the nicest they'd been to us in a long time. Or ever. We'd crossed over, and it was a weird feeling. It almost felt like we didn't deserve to be where we were. It's tough to accurately explain. For the rest of the night, we continued partying and eventually went to Claire's house. It was like there was this hump that we had to get over that anybody that was in the fraternity before us could forever haze us. Yeah. But well, there's... It's, I mean, the hazing, the hazing doesn't end when you get in, though. <laughs> true. You're still a nib. That is true, and just being in a fraternity naturally is like getting hazed. Because there's shit that pops up all the time that you're like, I don't want to be a part of this, but because I'm a part of this, I'm a part of this. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Zeke could set up a small celebration party there for us. We were completely squatted up when we got to Claire's house, and it felt pretty empowering. Instead of chips and dip, there was cocaine, drinks, and lots of people to party with. It wasn't just a Sig H get-together. There were lots of girls for us to get with, with our newly initiated swagger. I didn't have long to flirt with many of them, though. Claire was so coked up that she talked to me nonstop. She pulled me into her guest bedroom, and we sat on the bed. She poured her heart out to me and told me about a terrible experience she had in her freshman year. That was what we referred to as the soul talk that's associated with cocaine. She pulled me in there and told me that two guys raped her when she was in a freshman or a sophomore. Damn. I'm like, God damn it. What? Wow. I've, I've been waiting all semester to tell you this. Yeah. <laughs> what? What the fuck? And meanwhile, what a bomb to drop. in my little young head, I'm like, I just want to have sex with you tonight. And then this is what she tells me. And I'm like, hmm, how am I going to mentally overcome this one? <laughs> <laughs> then she proceeded to take me upstairs and fuck my brains out. It was one of the best sexual experiences of my life. When we were done, the sun was coming up. Claire started to fall asleep and invited me to stay over. <sighs> Michael Rickin Reed, you are the man. Wow. Wow. Till the sun came up, man. I agreed, and she fell asleep a few minutes later. It was hard for me to fall asleep, because I had been so excited. I laid looking at the ceiling for a bit, but I couldn't manage to fall asleep. I mean, the cocaine probably had something to do with it as well. I don't know. I would, I would assume so. A young little fucking fragile mind exposed to an amphetamine? Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know about how fragile the mind was, but... December 11th. Now what? The morning after Hell Night, 
I stunk, and I was exhausted. I was still lying beside Claire and looking at that damn ceiling. Claire was sound asleep and destroyed. I couldn't sleep, so I got out of bed and nudged her awake. I asked her if she wanted to go for breakfast, and she said, No, I'm going to lay here for a bit. I said goodbye to Claire, and I walked to campus with my fresh SIGH letters on. I knew I shouldn't have been rolling around campus wearing the letters, but if anyone asked me about them, I planned to lie. I would have said I was a sophomore or second semester freshman. There's been very few moments in my life where I can close my eyes and say that was like the happiest moment in my life. But walking through campus past one of the dorms with my letters on, I remember being one of the happiest moments in my life. I, I, I agree. Getting letters for the first time definitely gave you a sense of pride. Like, I, I put up with so much bullshit. I earned this. Like, no one can say I didn't earn this. Yeah. I'm part of something bigger than myself. Like, it's, it's a very empowering moment. Yeah. Nobody can take that away from you, no matter what they say. Even if you get disavowed by the HQ for writing a book, or you don't make friends with everybody in the fraternity, the process itself is something great to overcome. Absolutely. Besides, fuck strangers. With all the shit I had to put up with that semester, I'd wear a shirt named anything I wanted to, and nobody could stop me. As I walked through campus, any feelings I ever had of stress and anxiety completely left me. I felt very calm, but up to that point in my life, I'd never had such a feeling of tranquility before. I walked through campus for breakfast by myself with my fresh letters on. At that moment, I was prouder than I'd ever been in my entire life. I felt completely at peace. It wasn't just a sense of accomplishment. There was a sense of relief and elevation. It was like I had ascended to a different class or status. I felt more important and dignified, if you can imagine that after a semester of eating shit. I had so many pending issues to resolve, but after I'd completed pledging, I knew that I could overcome anything. I wasn't worried about the knife court case. That wasn't my charge to be worried about. I wasn't worried about all the partial relationships I'd started with girls all over campus. I was optimistic that everything would work out for the best on that front as well. I was in a sea of women, friends, and parties. I wasn't worried about my grades or my sexual harassment charge either. I just had to ignore Samantha because she brought bad energy into my life. As for my grades, I had enough Adderall to study for a thousand tests and ace them all. I was sure I would beat the sexual harassment charge with time, honesty, and some nice grades to back it. Another semester of living in the dorms under Gina's tyranny would be tough, but now that I was in a fraternity, I wouldn't have to spend as much time on campus. I could spend the majority of my time off campus unless I was attending class. If Gina caught wind of me being in a fraternity as a freshman, I would be in trouble, but that would only last for the last two weeks of the semester. During the second semester, I could wear any letters I wanted. When I wasn't wearing my letters, I made sure to keep them hidden under a sweater in my drawer so she would never see them. When I wore them, I would wear them under my clothes like a superhero costume. I felt terrible that James was not a SIG-H brother yet, and I was worried that he wouldn't get into the fraternity in the same semester as the rest of us. Out of all of the worries I had at that point in my life, James not being in the fraternity was the only one I cared about. John, Tony, and I visited James. We told him that we were in the fraternity. 
John had his letters hidden under his jacket, and I had mine on under my sweater. In the dorms, we had to hide our letters, because everyone knew we were first semester freshmen. It was sad when we were telling James about Hell Knight. The brothers told us not to tell him anything, but we told him everything. He had every right to know what we went through, and just because he got sick didn't mean he was any less of our brother. James wasn't sure how the brothers were going to be addressing his final days of pledging, and neither did we. We joked that technically we could haze him. He said okay. We were just kidding, but we felt bad for even making the joke. Sig H was going to have a celebration party for our pledge class. We're probably one of the only pledge classes that had that happen. I don't remember that ever happening before. Yeah, or since or that three out of four people get in and the other guy isn't in yet, but he's still pledging. Technically, that means that James probably pledged longer than anybody else. Yeah. <laughs> I, think, I think there was a rule that you guys weren't allowed to haze him, though. I'm sure you told us that, but I'm, I think that we had joked anyways, and he yeah. didn't know. And now that you say that, I think that you're the one that brought it up in the first place. You're like, you can't haze him. <laughs> <laughs> what did it mess up and we all had to bring dates we talked about the celebration party and who we were bringing James was invited too which was pretty awesome it implied he would be getting into the fraternity soon enough we left James's dorm and didn't see him until a few days later at the celebration party the celebration came two days after we gotten into the fraternity I... a few days We've gone the entire semester seeing each other every day, and we didn't get to see James for part of the week and that other little bit. That was kind of tough. Now it's time to party. Now it's time to party, so this is really important, so I won't interrupt. I brought Autumn, the girl across the hall, as my date. John Knowles brought Tara, Autumn's roommate, as his date. Tony brought a girl from his dorms I've never met before. James's girlfriend even came into town from Virginia Tech. On the night of the event, John and I pre-gamed with Eric and Chippy at their apartment. We had a few too many drinks, and it got worse when we started pounding back bourbon straight from the bottle. This is when I blacked out, and what happened next was all filled in for me the next day. John and I were so drunk that when we arrived, we had to be babysat for the rest of the night. Our babysitters were shitty, though, because they let us dive down a rabbit hole of drugs and more alcohol. The celebration party was a cover for James's Hell Night. The brothers had tricked John, Tony, and I, so we couldn't tell James ahead of time. During the party, James was given his Sig H letters. The next day when I woke up in my dorm room and I couldn't remember anything, I was terrified. I wondered what I did and if it was bad enough to get kicked out of the dorms. Did I get another strike? More alcohol charges? And how did I get back into my bed? I went and talked to John, and he had the same experience, but he was far less concerned. He remembered much more than I had. John was snuggled under his blanket, taking bowl hits and blowing them out his window. We shared a little bowl, and he filled me in on what had happened. Did you know that last night you told O'Connor you pissed on his door? John asked, while taking a huge toke from his bowl. Really? Yeah, when he came to the party, you randomly shouted it at him. You said, Hey, O'Connor! We did piss on your door. It was pretty funny, John exhaled, still laughing. 
John made fun of me for drinking so much bourbon. That's when he filled me in on everything that he could remember from the night before. He told me that James had gotten into the fraternity, and they were served more cocaine trays. After we caught up, he said I should go talk to Autumn, because she told him I roughed her up. John scared me, so I walked across the hallway and asked Autumn what happened the night before, from her perspective. This is when she told me that I tried to have sex with her, but she didn't want to. I kept insisting, and she finally said no. She didn't want the night to end, though, so she started kissing me. This is when I picked her up from underneath her hips and threw her against the wall of the long dorm hallway. I made out with her while she was pinned against the wall. She said, It was really hot, and don't worry that you blacked out. She explained that I didn't go overboard, and she told me that she enjoyed herself at the party. She said I shouldn't worry so much, and gave me a little kiss on the cheek. She told me she needed to shower, and we could hang out later if I wanted to. To me, that sounds like something's blossoming there. <laughs> that, that, was an, that was an open door. Yeah, it's not like, <laughs> oh, you roughed her up. It's she liked it rough. She just wasn't ready to have sex on the first date with you. <laughs> I said sure, and walked back over to my dorm room. I thanked the Sigage gods that she had enjoyed herself. The challenge was over. My pledge brothers and I had made it into the fraternity together. I hadn't worried about my cell phone ringing in days. When I relaxed a little, I went back over to John's room. I asked, John, what do we do now that we aren't pledging? There was a silence in the room. John put his weed and bowl into the drawer of his bedside table. He put on his flip-flops and smiled at me. Breakfast? Sure, buddy, I said. We walked down the hall to get breakfast like we had so many times before, but this would be the first time as Sig H brothers. We made it. One chapter of our lives had ended, and a new chapter was just beginning as brothers. What a great story. What a great story. <sighs> kind of sad almost. A little bittersweet. It is a little bittersweet. Things come to an end. They do. Things come to an end and you have to remember the journey and the people that you met and the relationships that you have gotten from meeting those people and just, you know, not to forget them. And when one story ends, it's time to begin a new one. Yeah. I think that we should listen to the epilogue while we're here. It's three minutes. Sure. Sure, and then we'll have a roundup episode afterwards. Yeah. Sounds good. Years later, do you still talk to your frat brothers? I talk to my fraternity brothers all the time, especially my pledge brothers. The only thing that has changed is time, distance, and some of our maturity levels. Do I regret pledging a fraternity? Never in a million years do I regret pledging a fraternity. At times it felt like pledging a fraternity was overwhelming, and sometimes during the pledge process, I wondered if it was worth it to continue. Looking back, it was the best decision I could have made, socially in my life, to continue through the entire process. I did miss out on fostering the relationships I had started when I first got to school with people outside of the fraternity. I live in the past of my glory days, 
now a fat, out of shape, out of work slob who wishes that he could go back in time and do it all over again. That's the only part of my book that's not that's not true, but I figured it would be funny, so I put it in there. That you wish you could go back and do it again? <laughs> that I wish I could go back and do it again. I'm fat, out of work slob. Well, right. one, of, one of those things is true. I'll let you figure it out. <laughs> I miss my friends, my fraternal family. They're the ones that truly know me for who I am, the good and bad. What did I learn? Pledging a fraternity taught me that all men have different weaknesses. The majority of men are weak as individuals and only become stronger mentally with numbers behind them. I learned that people don't care about what strangers are doing unless it directly impacts them. I learned not to be embarrassed to be myself and even go a hundred steps beyond that. If I encounter strangers and have to do something I find embarrassing, it is only a temporary part of my life. A few moments in a day, of many days, in many years, that will often be forgotten. That's a really nice way of saying that I can do almost anything to a stranger and not be embarrassed. Yeah. That's good, yeah. <laughs> you have to be yourself. Sometimes people will give you negative feedback, but for the most part, they just consume a moment or a few moments of your time, and your life goes on. Being yourself and striving to be a better you shouldn't be hindered by what others say or think of you. Finally, I learned that most of the staff at Fraternity's National Headquarters are oblivious to what goes on at most of their fraternal chapters. Anyone that thinks fraternities are about tea times and tea parties is living in another world. Is hazing dangerous? It can be. I believe that hazing begins with small tasks or requests, and incrementally gets worse and worse as pledges grow more accustomed to the abuse. The longer the pledge period goes on, the more invested pledges are as well, making quitting that much harder. Don't try any of the hazing in this book at home or on your campus. Hazing can be dangerous and lead to death. Then your family will have to explain to their friends that their kid died far too young to some stupid shit. If you're pledging a fraternity, you can say stop or that's enough. It's okay. What comes next? More stories if you want them. That's the book. Well, I want them. Well, good thing I already released another book since then called <laughs> So They Got Hazed. Available on Amazon now. Da -da -da. <laughs> so that was a great first season. I can't wait to go over the next thing with you or the next the next season is just going to be incredible. We might do video, folks. We'll see. We're going to scale it up. Upscale. Thank you, everybody, for sticking with us. Bye.